This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is pre-recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050, WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb, Matt DeMiz, Misler in the studio, and the roundtable crew is with us from MGoBlog.com. Glad to have the fellas. Boys are back in town, if you've ever seen 48 <laughs> Hours, right? Uh, with one Mr. Brian Cook. Brian, how are you this morning? Hello. Well, good. <laughs> Mr. Cook. Mr. Craig Ross, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. If you recall, The Boys Are Back in Town, I think, is a song by the Bus Boys. Uh, a great, the only maybe, uh, or one of the only uh, uh, black punk groups. They're okay. phenomenal. If people don't know The Bus Boys, minimum wage rock and roll, one of the best all-time rock and roll albums. Craig Ross yeah. is old. He remembers the bubonic play. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> We had scars on earlier this week, as a matter of fact. And one Mr. Seth Fisher. Seth, how are you? I'm a little tired. The phone books are here. The, uh, the new <laughs> rosters came out last night, so I was up till 2 a.m. comparing weights and making sure that I got every single, every single little change and, and noted them down. So we'll have that article later today, and you'll get to see how much the Michigan football program has gained good weight and lost their bad weight. Gotcha. All right. So, fellas, I want to start off first talking about the Wilmer Hale report, which uh, which has been uh, covered at length, multiple publications already. And, and the thing that caught me most by, by most by surprise was the, the report that this has been on the desk of Ward Manual since May. Uh, I, I found that very surprising. Uh, it what it suggests is that you know th that there is th the certainty that I had about the future uh, e evaporated because it's, you know you had plenty of time to to sort of assess the details that were in the in the report uh, in a way that would let you know if you were if you thought for sure that you could move past them we would have had the uh, word of the extension already we have not gotten word of the extension that doesn't mean one won't come. Brian Cook, but the the fact that one hasn't come with the report having been in the possession of the administration for three months suggests that the future is in serious doubt. Well, and honestly, this is the strangest thing I've come across. Like, there's usual cover-up kind of stuff, right? And that makes sense from a self-interested point of view. But here's a hockey coach who's out of contract, who you have this report on, and you don't do anything for three months. Like I get a week or two to like get everybody's ducks in a row and figure out what you're going to do. But this has been a summer long open question. And I just, I 
it just doesn't make any sense to me. Unless you're trying to bring Pearson back, but I don't see how you can have that report be in the public eye and do that. I also don't see how you wouldn't read the report and be like, okay, he lied to investigators repeatedly. That's not one of our values here, and he's got to go. Yeah, I, I here's to me perhaps part of the answer uh, from my point of view. I and I think this has been generally misrepresented in secondary reportings, and and the report says, and I'm quoting: "We were charged with with investigating investigating whether it was more likely than not that Mel took retaliatory actions against Steve Shields for raising concerns that violated school policy." And and the Wilmer Hale calls this quote a relatively narrow uh, purview. They also go on to, to say, we were not tasked, and this is in, in uh, bold or italics, with conducting a comprehensive, comprehensive culture review within the, uh, of the hockey program. So, and the report comes back to Ward's desk in May, and Wilmer Hale concludes, um, no, uh, Mel did not retaliate to get rid of Steve Shields, that, that, that he did not violate school policy. However, the report goes on to say uh, to the athletic department, you got some investigating to do. And because A, we think Mel misrepresented or wasn't truthful with us on, on some things. Uh, B, uh, there, are, there, there is at least prima facie evidence that there's a cultural problem in this, in, in this program, and they outline some of these cultural problems. Then um, the athletic department decided to do, or contemporaneously, decided to do a survey of those willing, a supposedly anonymous survey of those willing uh, connected to the hockey program about the culture in the program. Well, this did not come out well. Uh, in that approximately half or perhaps a bit more than half of the people surveyed said there are problems, cultural problems in this program of one sort or another. That didn't happen until sometime in June. I'm not in, in terms of the actual access, uh, I believe, by the, the athletic department. And so it's at least plausible that that uh, the athletic department and Ward Manual took the Wilmer Hale report seriously and said, okay, because Wilmer Hale says, hey, you guys need to investigate this. You need to investigate the cultural problems in, in the program. And this report, incidentally, is not particularly well written. Uh, I, I was fairly shocked by the level of writing uh, and, the, and the level of coherence. I spent, I read it twice, took me some time. Um, but in the end, I think this is what they said was, we saw some problems, you need to investigate them. Uh, and so it could be trying to put a, you know, a potential uh, answer to, to Brian's question, which is, of course, the right question. Uh, it could be that, they are, that what the uh, athletic department has done has been investigating. Now, my information from a good source yesterday, which I shipped over to John Bacon, and apparently others did too, was that uh, there was a meeting yesterday between uh, Mary Sue Coleman, who's apparently been tasked with this particular problem, not, not the new president, uh, between Mary Sue Coleman, Ward Manuel, and perhaps Mel, 
uh, as to, well, what are we going to do or what, what should we do now? My sources, who I think are good, told me it was happening soon, that something was happening soon. So it's at least plausible that the athletic department has been doing their own investigation and their own scuffling around over the past couple of months. Now, note that a primary culprit within the program, or at least according to Wilmer Hale, retired. Uh, I don't know how long ago that was. Did you hear the quotes? Uh, Everyone on the radio, did you hear the quotes? Retired. Yeah, now I'm not, my guess is that retirement was not completely voluntary, but that's just my surmise. And, 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 you know, there was a lot of noise in the media how this was a person who was abusive, verbally abusive, it sounds like, to female employees within the athletic department or within the hockey program. But in fact, according to two people, uh, Brian Wiseman uh, and Ian Hume, who's the equipment manager, no, this guy was abusive to everybody. He okay, was abusive. But, but, you're, but this yeah. is this is a lot of lawyering. Yeah. This isn't this isn't a lawyer situation, right? He's out of contract. You can terminate him at will. He's an at will employee, correct? Right. So it doesn't matter what the the legal like how well the report is written doesn't matter. If what's in the report is true, you have to fire him. There's like several different things that you have yeah. to fire Mel Pearson about. Uh, and not, these things, and and so what you're saying is it might be accurate, but I don't think it's relevant. So there's no you read the report and you fire the coach. Well, it's relevant to one thing. I mean, because the question is, what is the athletic department doing? Why are they dithering while you know while Rome burns? Uh, and and I guess the answer to that is that's what Wilmer Hale told them to do, and 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 they're following what and they're. Wilmer, and, Wilmer, Wilmer Hale did not tell them. Told, Wilmer Hale said, "Here's the information." The athletic department's job was, is to make the call. Wilmer Hale for, a, for an opinion. Yes, Wilmer they Hale say, "Go find us the information and put it in a report." The athletics department, their job is to make the call. Ward Manuel's job is to make the call. And his I, job I was to make the call in May when he had this report. I don't see how you get this report and you read it once and you don't call him up and you're like, "You're fired." Yeah, I don't. I don't understand. There's well, that's the not what Wilmer Hale suggested to the athletic department. Now, I'm not disagreeing with the conclusion. But, but Wilmer Hale, okay, fine. You see the report, and, and I, I read the report, and it says, fire me in seven <laughs> different places. Well, and that, I don't it's understand It's hard to deny how, that. It's hard Ward to deny Manuel that. Manual isn't on the same page. I don't know. I guess he'll have to say, I'm, it, not, I'm not his representative. It's, but it's, not, would, it's not a close call. You have... Half your program worried about being retaliated against. You have you mm-hmm. know, lies being told to the NCAA, True. lies being told about COVID, lies being told to the to the uh, the investigators. You have lies that were told when Michigan canceled the Western Michigan game last year. You have incontrovertible proof that Mel Pearson is not a trustworthy person. And how is he still employed at this university? I would go back to the fact that the that you can't sort of pick and you can't cherry pick the Wilmer Hale report. I'm not and, cherry picking the Wilmer Hale well, report. I, yeah, I'm yeah, reading it. You, you and can't I'm cherry coming, pick no, no, no. It trips. Brian, Brian's saying it trips. There's seven points at least where you, you go. Okay, mm-hmm. that's enough to fire a guy. It's not I mean, cherry just, picking just to say employing you, this Bancroft guy yeah. is like 1980s stuff. 
He's abusive to everybody in the program. People are Correct. calling him out and coming to you about it, and you do absolutely nothing. That's like the the Rutgers basketball coach throwing basketball players at his players, like the, <laughs> basketballs at his players. That's not mm -hmm. acceptable. And there's four or five other completely unacceptable things in this report. So there should be no dithering. Well, it's not I, it's not a close call. I, I I disagree. I'm not. I don't disagree with the conclusion. Uh, I mean, if you ask me, uh, one, the Wilmer Hale report probably are certainly sufficient to, to terminate or to let the contract uh, expire. Uh, two, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. But I, I do think if you're going to hire Wilmer Hale and ask them for their recommendations and you're going to take some of their recommendations seriously, you could take you should take them all seriously. And and in this case, uh, they didn't say, oh, there's a problem in the in the hockey culture that that he should be fired for. They said, no, these are problems that we uncovered and you better start investigating whether whether what we see is, in fact, the case, because from the Wilmer Hale report, this is ancillary fallout. So a couple of things is it, let's, so let's try to frame this up. I, mm -hmm. I think we can infer a few items. Number one, the the mistreatment of employees, uh, specifically women. I, they're clearly putting that at Bancroft's feet, right? And, yeah, while, but, and, and while while there's some accountability for Mel as the as the coach, as the person in charge of the program, they they must have determined already that that alone isn't an, that doesn't rise to a fireable offense because you you have you know that this this mistreatment happened. Yep. Enough to where he should a longtime program member shouldn't be with the program anymore he so he's essentially fired and yet mel is still being so you they must have determined that that is not a fireable defense you go they, move on to the, to the to the strauss man part the strauss yeah. man part where uh, although he declined to be to participate in the investigation apparently allegedly supposedly pressure was brought to bear because he was raising issues he was throwing up red flags about things in the program that mel supposedly told him you know what you're your status with this program is in jeopardy, essentially pushing him out. Mel didn't recall or didn't have or didn't recall that conversation. Everyone else that they interviewed did, and apparently there are even recordings of this. That is incontrovertible proof, as Brian said, of some dishonesty. They must have determined that that in and of itself is not a fireable offense, even with what we just heard about, about, the, uh, about the Bancroft issue. Right, that he didn't do anything about it. Those two things together, not a fireable offense, which leads us to this culture thing. And this is the, the part that is hardest for me to reconcile. Clearly, from Strauss Man, Steve Shields to Strauss Man to many members of the senior class at that time, if not every member. I don't I've seen reports that said it was every member of the senior class, and others said it was a good number of seniors who said that there is a culture issue. There is one to a certain degree, but the part that I can't reconcile when you have all those first round picks, all those guys who have a choice to they don't have to transfer. They could just go to the NHL and all those guys came back. I can't reconcile the huge culture issue that is allegedly present on one hand with all those guys who have really clear and good options to go elsewhere and their decision to come back. And I'm curious what you guys make of that. Well, well, here's what I mean, I'll, I'll let Brian speak because I've been jabbering. Go ahead. I mean, there's a 
you can have big culture problems on a hockey team and you can also be like, I, I actually want to play in Yost Ice Arena, which is what mm -hmm. Owen Power said when he came back. Is like, I didn't have a real college hockey season. And they got booted from the tournament without even getting to play in it. So I think that there's balancing factors. I mean, obviously, Mel Pearson is not impossible to play for, mm -hmm. but I find the Strauss Mann stuff to be incredibly disturbing because that's the captain of your team and he leaves for Sweden and he's not participating in this because you've already badmouthed him so he couldn't sign with an NHL team after a year. Like the contents of this report, I just can't, I can't reconcile the contents of the report with the kind of person that I feel should be running Michigan's hockey program. Uh, you know, and I feel like that's legitimate and it's also probably public perception and, and, and public perception is important. Uh, when it, when it comes to these sorts of things. But I still come back to the fact what Wilmer Hale did was task the athletic department to look at the culture of the program. They did that, they did that in part with their survey. And I don't know what else they did. It might've been they were completely negligent don't see the same things that we see out of the out of the world. It doesn't take that long to talk to all your players. You've had three. If he's had that report on his desk for three months, he's had access to all these players. Nobody seems to have a hard time saying anything about this. There's there's no more excuse there, you know. And there's no there's no better. I just say, position let, to fire your coach right what, now. He's an at will employee. They have other guys who can coach. I mean, Brian Wiseman just left the Islanders probably because he thinks he can get this job. You know, you've got. Maybe. McCall, right, like right there, if, uh, you know, and he doesn't mm -hmm. seem to be implicated in this. You have other guys who will step up and be able to run the program. The recruiting is going fine. It's not like there's anything holding you to keep Mel. The only thing I've tried to go with this in my head a gazillion times, what could be going on here? And the only thing mm -hmm. I can come up with is Ward Manuel doesn't want to fire him. That I don't know if this is like some sort of he's <clears throat> connected him to Gary Moeller, even though it's a completely different situation. But whatever reason, um, it that's the only thing I can come up with is that Ward is convinced he wants to keep him, and everyone is telling him, "No, dude, look, look at all of this," because by now the information's done. I I don't think there's any more room for investigation. The report says more than enough. You've had more than enough access to these guys at this point, and you have you have a hockey season starting in a few months. Let's just get this done. And I, yeah, the only reason it hasn't been done has to be because of Ward. It's August, right? The we need to investigate this thing excuse doesn't fly anymore. You had three months, and you didn't even take an action. The action that happened is that the report became public. The athletic department is as if you had done nothing. They haven't even addressed it. So I don't know what they're paralyzed by indecision or what, but I there's just no good explanation. Not even well, like, okay, they told us to investigate and now we're investigating. It's August. It is August. Time's up. Well, and time may be up because from what I've heard, there's going to be an announcement in the next day or two. But I think Ward Manuel at least deserves the, the benefit of saying, here's what we did and here's why we did it. And I don't know, I've been, I've done this stuff for 50 years now, listening to he said, he said, she said cases. And, and I'm, I'm reticent to draw conclusions based on, and, until I, I get to hear what everybody said. And, and it and, sounds like, I mean, from what you said earlier, Craig, according uh -huh. to your sources, it, it sounds like this isn't one where he makes a unilateral decision. At least that's from the sounds of it. 
Is that a correct what, term? What I heard is that is that it's a decision that will be made in conjunction with Mary Sue Coleman. That's what I heard. Now it's from good sources. John heard it this from other people. John Bacon heard it not just from my sources, but from other people. And so he's hearing the same thing. Now, if so why why Mary Sue Coleman and not Santa Ono? Uh, I can think of several reasons, one of which I don't want to express uh, <laughs> ask me off air. But I mean, but they, they may just feel like, look, she has a sufficient historical connection uh, with the program and with the athletic department that Ono does not. And that it, it and let's not lay this first mess on his lap uh, right now on his first you know, month on campus. Uh, that's my surmise, but that's just a surmise. And maybe none of it's true at all. I don't know. Maybe they'll do nothing, in which case, you know, Brian's uh, frustration and outrage and incest seems pretty warranted at that point. Um, but I, I just want to, I would like to hear, you know, well, what's been going on? What have you been doing? What did, you know, and, and it seems like those questions to Ward are fair, but I don't want to just assume that that a ward is an idiot or b ward doesn't know what he's doing or i don't or, assume either of those and i don't want to assume those things i want to assume that he got the report and said oh boy i got a problem here i got to deal with it. yeah the, the biggest question which we're expressing here is what is what is going on in that three-month period what are they doing in that in that three months that weren't done what things are they doing that, that weren't done during the course of investigation? They say investigate culture more. Does it take you? Does it take you three months to do just that? I, I don't know. I don't know what what you're doing in that time. Well, I, remember, one of the things they did was this culture survey in the program, and that wasn't out. That doesn't take three months, though, right? It, it took a month. So you're you're into June as opposed to May. Uh, but still, I agree. I, I mean, I don't understand what's going on and, and something and it, doesn't quite add it, up. It, 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 it adds up to, to being more disruptive if you make a decision to go in a different direction. You know, as we get into the school year, uh, it, it becomes a more disruptive thing. I mean, I don't know how much that matters in the grand scheme of things, but, uh, you know, if you have the choice to, to not be disruptive, you know, it would seem that you'll go that route, which begs the question again, what I don't think they've just been sitting on their hands, but I have no idea, you know, what what it could be that they've been doing for the last I, couple of months. I've got a question for you guys. Go I've got a question for you guys questions. before we go, Craig. Before you Great start question. again, all right? Yeah. Has anybody? Have you seen anyone in public, former players, other coaches? <clears throat> has anybody stood up for Mel Pearson in the last few days? I I haven't uh, seen I haven't uh, seen a single person. Nobody no. seems. What is the what's the hang up here? If it it's it, it's not like you're gonna. It, I the only thing I can think of, and I hate mm -hmm. where this is leading me because it's just conjecture at this point. But the only thing I can think of is that powerful people want it to be hard to get rid of other powerful people for the obvious reason. And if you're in a position of power, you're in a position of importance, and you can see yourself in the same position where like, oh no, what if my mistakes ended up the same way? That's the, I mean, that's the yeah, only place that's that total, I think this yeah. could possibly explain it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I hate to venture a guess on something yeah. like this, right? I mean, it's, yeah, I, I just honestly, I have no idea. I have no problem saying I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't know things. I, I have no idea. And, and, it, and it may be. It may be that there's no justifiable reason. Uh, but I sure would like, I, I need to hear it. Definitely need to hear it. Well, um, the question posed is completely l- legit. What have they been doing for the last couple of months? I would say that's a question that needs to be answered by the athletic department and word manual. Why, when you read the Wilmer Hale report, didn't you just can him then after perhaps talking to, talking to Mel or a couple other people? Why did you, those are fair. Those are completely fair and legitimate questions. I just hate to answer questions when I don't know, know, know those answers. I mean, it seems to me those are things that have to be answered by the athletic department and word manual and not, you know, maybe there are, there are reasons. I don't know. Well, uh, an assistant SID uh, posted on Twitter yesterday that mm-hmm. he was badly mistreated by Bancroft and uh, a guy named Ian. What's his name? Ian Hume. And that he was he should have stood up like Shields did. And so this is a guy publicly posting on Twitter bombing the program. And it feels like a lot of people feel the same way, including one of the best goalies in the history of Michigan hockey. Mm-hmm. So, like, what's the upside? I I don't know. It would be nice if 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 Strauss would have participated in in this particular investigation since he was sort of at the at the core of it. Yeah, he, uh, you can understand why though. He probably you, oh, I completely understand why he didn't. But you know, but I'm not criticizing him. But it, you know, it would be it would have been helpful for perhaps our understanding. I mean, point blank, we have a recording that Steve Shields made of Mel Pearson that proves that he lied to these investigators. True. That is a firing offense. He's done. So make it happen. Mm-hmm. He's done. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, <clears throat> there's no way you can talk about integrity in your athletic department. If you keep Mel Pearson and it doesn't take three months to know that. So I don't know what possible re- reason there is, but the report is public. Make your choice and move on. And there's only one choice. So what are we waiting for here? The man is out of contract. There's no downside. Just uh, yeah, he's, a, he's an employee at will. They you know they don't need uh, yeah. reasons at this point to not to not renew renew that relationship. I mean, you don't need reasons to fire a coach anyway. You just gotta pay his buyout, <laughs> yeah. right? But in right. this case, there's no financial downside. I mean, that I can think. Like, All right, we need to get to a break. Be back on the other side. We'll switch gears. There are other things that are going on in Michigan athletics, right? So we'll get to those when we come back on the other side on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket. Here's a question. Here's a question I got for you. How come Steve Shields kept the recording hidden? Don't you find that a little mysterious? If I was Ward, that sure, sure would be something I would... Because Shields talked about this meeting several times and never mentioned that there was a recording of it. Well, he got Pearson to lie about it. He got, he got, like he got Pearson to lie about it. And, it's like and Alex course, Jones sitting on the stand and his lawyer's <laughs> like, I have some news for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good luck, Alex. <laughs> the, uh, you know, but. I mean, I found that a little strange. I mean, in the end, the tape confirmed what uh, what Mel said. I mean, that's the other sort of weirdness of it all is that when the tape is released, the tape says, you know, can conform confirms to what Mel said vis a vis his attitude was about Strauss Mann. You know, 
So I don't know. But yeah, you're right, Brian. He did seemingly lie about it. And Wilmer Hale and uh, thought he lied about it. That's probably I mean, a enough conclusion for me. You read the report and you see like, okay, we need to, do, they're telling us to do more investigation to yeah. see where we said fire Mel Pearson. I read the report and it's screaming fire Mel Pearson. Yeah. Like, and that the Wilmer Harrell people are like, Gee, this guy's got to go. And it's just like, I mean, but oddly enough, the Wilmer P Hale people did not say that. They did. The Wilmer, they they didn't say it. They didn't say it outright. Right. They said it in the way that you say it. When you're tasked to do a report like that, your job is not to sit and be like, "Okay, I'm going to make this decision for you, sir." It's like, "Here's all the information you need in all the context that you need to make your decision," and then you let the person who gets the report make the decision, not yeah. referencing yeah. any political. <laughs> things that, are, that have yeah. happened in recent yeah. years <laughs> but anyway so i don't know the whole the thing is weird to me i agree with that that ward has some explaining to do i certainly agree with that i mean it, it seems to me he's got to tell us what he was doing and why you know and what was going on as certainly by the middle i wonder why this rises to the level of of a decision that you got to run by the president yeah it's the hockey coach yeah, I don't know the I I don't know uh I don't know the answer to that one yet. But and yeah. I mean and again that's just what we're hearing. It doesn't mean now this noise comes from people who are former hockey players among others. But the uh, it's a fair question. Certainly if nothing happens, certainly if it just keeps rolling on the way it's rolled on. That's extremely mysterious to me beyond mysterious yeah so without obviously not giving up your sources but what did, did those hockey players tell you what they think should happen the people uh the yes they none of them are supporting mel let me put it that way uh, n uh none there's no one out there uh, there's no one out there that i've heard that's supporting that's supporting mel one i was told uh you know uh, I said, if you, leave, if you read the Wilmer Hale report, it seems to me that one possible construction is that Steve Shields was trying to get Mel fired and was on a, a long-standing, not maybe long-standing, but a year or two uh, vendetta to do that, quote, vendetta. Mm -hmm. And the source that I told me said, yeah, he was. That's true. He was. And he mm -hmm. was doing it for good reason. Mm -hmm. He was trying to save the program. You know, and I had oh, so where's Red in all this? I mean, you, break. I assume Red is supporting Mel. I assume, That's but I don't be, know. I mean, from the Wilmer Hale report, it sounds like that. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe that's the maybe that's. Yeah, I mean, it may be that. I mean, I I suspect it's a hundred percent legit and and really de rigueur for for Ward to be talking to to uh, Red. Red. Mm -hmm. I mean, how could you? How could you? After the Wilmer Hale report, I think <coughs> the first people I'd have in my office, aside from Mel, would be Red. That's yeah. my fear. I think his fear is that he's kind of he thinks this is the Gary Moeller situation. We're back, folks. Now the MGO Blog Roundtable. So camp time is finally here. We are about to start hearing about position battles and uh, how things are going in camp. You know, you didn't never want to get too carried away with it. Uh, but it is always an exciting and optimistic time. It's set aside the quarterback position battle. 
uh, let's start the other way around with Seth because uh, you know we've we've been uh, uh, probably hearing from you the, the least so far. So let's start with the position battle other than quarterback. Let's set aside quarterback that you're most intrigued by or excited by as we uh, now head into or we're in the middle or in the beginning part of this ball. Game. Oh, I I want to, I want data on defensive end or edge as it's called on the roster or off outside linebacker whatever you're calling it um there's i mean the first question is who can pass rush right because when i was charting it last year upshaw uh could not get around guys harold uh he kind of just gets stuck on dudes and he can't really uh doesn't really have the size to push them the only guy who's really been effective is morris and he's more kind of like one of those dudes who pushes you into the quarterback not you know, he's got some strength moves, but he's not really going to be getting around dudes. Um, the linebackers were really the best pass rushers they had. But if they want to stick to this 5-2 look uh, you know, against two tight end sets and whatnot, then you're going to need guys who can rush off the edge. That's going to be extremely important. And I, I want to know what's going on there. Like last year, they said it was Upshaw, and then he got passed by two guys. Um, we haven't heard anything about McGregor. I know he came in with an injury, so like I want to see where that's at. Um, you know, Derek Moore. People seem excited about that. I want to see if that could happen as a true freshman. You know, there's there's a lot of there's not a lot of things that um, look great right now. But if we start hearing some nice things, I I'll, I'll eat it up. They seem to have the requisite athleticism on on campus and the number of bodies. Interesting. Like one of these guys can can really emerge, but it's such a huge question mark. The the guy that you point to amid all the questions would be Mike Morris. I mean, and he's he's the guy they seem to talk about the most. I thought I thought Derek Moore was was really impressive down at Under Armour uh, in an All Star capacity. He's physically ready to compete. Braden McGregor is my most intriguing guy because physically, I think he is the best combination of size, speed, and athleticism. That they have up front. I'm, I'm more impressed with it, even though Julius Velshoff puts up better numbers. I just think that you know the 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 learning curve game wise skew you know kind of skews the 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 scales in favor of uh, of Braden McGregor for me at least being the most intriguing guy heading into this position this season at that position. Curious what you think, Craig. Uh yeah I, yeah I don't I, at this juncture I don't know. You asked me my uh my biggest question and that's uh inside linebackers uh one i don't see a lot of depth there two i just watched the rutgers game the other night and and they got shredded uh they were going the wrong way a lot and so uh especially when ross got hurt in that game and was out mm -hmm. of the game and so it, it was a debacle and and so my i have a question about that position a what's you know i think it'll be better this year i think colson's a good player uh i think we're more experienced perhaps at the starters but i don't know what what depth looks like there at all um on the outside yeah i i don't think it's going to be the same in the sense that you're not going to have two elite pass rushers um but i think they'll they should be fine against the run and the question for me is whether they can compensate uh, with getting pressure from the inside, and it looks like that may be plausible this year. And and or whether they can, uh, they might end up blitzing a little more. I don't know. Yeah, I, that's been the talk uh, that all along. Jesse Minner sort of alluded to that 
uh, back in the spring during interviews, like getting pressure a different way. Yeah. Uh, and the different way is with blitz pressure. But I'm curious. I mean, right, I actually go into this season thinking inside linebacker uh, is a strength now that Junior Colson and and, and uh, Nakai Hill Green have experience under their belts. That that speed that we saw them running around with sometimes in the wrong direction. I remember George Hilo saying that to me last year before the year before the season around this time. He said, you know, Junior Colson can really run. It's just not always the right way. Right? You got to feel like it's going to be the right way a lot more uh, often this season. Well, you you do expect that, but it's potential and it's linebacker. So I have charted a lot of linebackers and there are a lot there are linebackers who get a lot better. And then there's some guys who just never quite put it together because it's a really complicated position. You got to have it. You got to have information processing ability probably better than anywhere else on the defense. And it's hard. It's like, why was Tom Brady a six round pick? Because people didn't appreciate his information processing ability. And I think linebacker is the spot secondary quarterback on a football team where that's the most important thing. So I think inside linebacker, you have a couple of candidates to, to really break out, but I've been burned before, Sam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm, I, I'm hopeful there, but I'm also going to be, I mean, I'm going to keep it reined in for a bit, but I do well, think they need that. They need that position to be a playmaking position. Like I they mean, do. those guys, if, if Michigan's defense is not going to fall off a cliff compared to last season, I think the linebackers, replacing some of the playmaking ability that they got from the edge last year is a key component in that. Yeah, and so I think Mike Morris just weighed in at, what, 290? Is that accurate, Seth? So he's not going to be an edge rusher. You know, He's going to be Chris Wormley, and that's a good player. That's a, that's, that's a good player to have in your defense, and he's going to get five or six sacks over the course of the season. But who's going to drive that play? And I think Junior Colson is probably your best answer unless you get a blow up at defensive tackle and you get someone who's Im imitating Mo Hurst, which uh, doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Getting, getting playmaking out of those inside linebackers is going to be really important. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to sing the praises of Nakai Hill green because uh, that Rutgers game. Yeah, that was bad. And they were doing things early in the season where like they had Josh Ross have to make the decision and the other linebacker had to just do whatever Josh Ross didn't do. Uh, and that was, they, that's a hard position in this defense, a harder position in this defense than it was in Don Brown's defense. Part of what Don Brown always wanted to do, in fact, was to make decisions really easy for his linebackers so they could play faster. That was the, you know, the, the whole concept of what he was doing there. And this defense isn't like that. This defense says, look, we're going to keep you clean, but you got to make the right call. Junior Colson was a true freshman. He, you know, grew up in Haiti. He, 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 he was not even supposed to be playable his freshman year. So there's a good chance that he's going to take that sophomore year jump. But like Brian says, it's a, you know, it, that's a, it, it, and it also could be like Cam Agron, where he makes a, a jump, but he's still not Devin Bush by any stretch of the imagination. But Hill Green really seemed to pick it up as the season went along. And when I went back recently and watched the, uh, the Iowa game, uh, he is the one making those decisions that Ross was making before. So they put, they put it on both of those guys. And when Colson got put in that position, he went the wrong way, maybe more often than not. Uh, but Hill Green really seemed to pick it up and get more comfortable. So I'm, comfort I'm comfortable with him starting for a season. I don't think he's going to be super flashy. 
Colson, I think, is their best pass rusher probably on the team. So I I agree. Like that's you know, this is the amoeba defense time. Now you have to recreate it in the aggregate, right? Throw Jeremy Giambi up on the board. It's that's the time we're at right now because you're not replacing Hutchinson. What uh, what what do you guys think about the the depth at linebacker? Is that a concern at inside yes. linebacker? Is that a it concern? Is. You know, I you know one of the most intriguing questions to me, and this is not this is not my pick, by the way. Uh, but you know, Khalil Mullings has has been one of the better athletes at that position since he got here, uh, and you know, breaking through just hasn't quite broken through yet. Uh, but I think he he can be a big part of the depth at two positions. <clears throat> linebacker being the primary position where he is, could be a key part of the depth. Is this the year where they feel? Because you can't do it. You can't do it. You need more than two linebackers. Right. Yeah, I, I think Kalel Mullings can be our short yardage back this year. And I, I, I mean, I was watching him in the spring game playing both ways, and that's a tough thing. But his the play was going on when he was playing linebacker, and he wasn't moving. And this is year three for him. And I just, it just, I, I just don't see it happening at, at linebacker. But he showed some things as a running back, and I, I'd like to explore that. Yeah, I think they will, and I think they will. The, the, but the one that I'm most intrigued about or by uh, here in fall camp is, you know, can can Will Johnson's progression from spring to now be such that he's the guy coming out of camp? I think he's going to be the guy at some point this season, and that's the vibe that I keep picking. I, I picked up all spring is like he's 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 going to emerge as the other corner. Maybe not to to start, but you know, looking at him this summer, uh, hearing what some of the coaches and some of the other players are saying about him, I mean, I guess I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule out a a fall camp, the kind of fall practice showing that could make him make him be the guy. Somebody watching that very closely. We know we know that he will be a part of the rotation from the jump. I, I I'm willing to make the bet right now that he's not going to start the opener because who started uh, in '95? It wasn't Woodson. Right, who it was, and and Marlon Jackson had to wait, but he was starting midway through the season. Uh, Donovan Warren was another like very high star guy who was clearly better than the options that Michigan had. He had to wait till uh you know a third of the way through the season before he really took over. Leon Hall is another one who wasn't really playing until mid season, and they started moving guys around, moved Curry back and everything. So, like that's how long it takes, right? Even if you have spring, even if you know, like Will Johnson. Which none of those guys did. Yeah, which none of those guys did. But defense has also gotten more complicated since then as well. And especially Michigan's defense. Remember, we're not cover one and go anymore, right? This is a complicated defense that just added a lo- another coverage that they're supposed to have as their main base. So they're a switchable defense. They do uh, cover two and cover three switches. They do man. They do man zero. They do a lot back there. And that's the reason Vincent Gray was, you know, a good player for them last year. And they tilted everything towards what Vincent Gray could do because you had that organization back there. Now, I think they're going to yeah. go more man this year because they can. But, like, yeah. that's or, the ordinarily, complexity you're talking about. I, I think you hit on a great point. And ordinarily, I wouldn't even be uh, thinking – I wouldn't even think it was in the realm of possibility. All uh, right, that you're, you're talking about when you have a couple of experienced corners in Jamon Green and DJ Turner, who is one of Michigan's representatives down in Indianapolis, that you could have a freshman unseat one of them. But for them, uh, Will enrolling early, it wouldn't be, but he did enroll early and showed well and had those guys really like, man, 
he's going to be a guy. It, it probably is still most likely the case that he won't be coming out of fall camp. But, man, I, I do think now that it is a possibility. I think that is well, a possibility. I assume they're going to run a third, a third corner, right? Yes. And yes. most often against most offenses, you're going to be running a third corner or a combo corner safety. And I, I think there's a chance he might start at that spot. I don't think he's going to start at, at, at a, well, he said, he said he, they have him practicing exclusively at corner. Now that might change. Oh, fall camp. Okay. That might change. Don't fall camp. But he said they had him working exclusively at corner. And, and that so, makes sense. And there's a lot of options that they have still that is spot only... right now. So, like, I, I don't think you need to add him to that mix because, you know, you've got uh, Moore who can play that position uh, instead of strong safety. You've got Zeke Berry coming in. I, I'm sure they, uh, you know, they're going to get excited as soon as he gets on the field, right? Uh, uh, John McBurrows was uh, – sorry, Jaden McBurrows was going to be, you know, the guy there. I don't know how much he's uh, he's back from his injury and whatnot. And, you know, you can also play Mike Barrett there uh, against uh, more run teams. So, like, there's so many options to nickel. I would not complicate everything for Will Johnson right now, especially because he's just built so perfectly for outside corner. So what do you guys expect from Mikey St. Ristol this year, starting with you, Brian? Oh, him too. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and here's why I ask. I mean, from and, – and look, I, I personally believe that, you know, Dax Hill – <laughs> Dax Hill, you just can't get much better athletically in a history of the secondary than Dax Hill. There are some, you know, of course, you can point to a guy like Charles Woodson, but Dax, as far as measurables are concerned, uh, was a cut above all the rest. And yet, when they were talking about spring, uh, spring ball and just pure man-to-man cover skills and short area quickness, they were talking about Mikey Samristel like they think he's from a man-to-man cover standpoint, and you know you guys chart, they think that he is going to be, um, that it's not going to be this precipitous drop there in man-to-man coverage. Now, there might be some some other places where it, it shows up a lot more as a blitzer uh, in the run game. Maybe you'll feel it more, but they were talking like they felt like he would give them the coverage at that position uh, that they were used to getting. I'm curious what, what you guys, if you think that's a too lofty an expectation there. I mean, that does sound optimistic, right? Because Sainer still is a wide receiver last year. He can practice for however long he wants in one offseason, and he's probably not going to be to the level that a uh, a guy who had been spending his career at that position would be at. So I feel like just getting to like, decent would be a win there and because it's a tough position to play because you got two way goes on a lot of routes you can't just set up and funnel someone to the outside if you're six foot two which of course saner still is not so mm-hmm. you know the good news for for saner still is he's got a lot of ramp up before he gets to uh talia tungavailoa <laughs> <laughs> and which i mean they have it you know say what you want about maryland and, and and for Takavailoa throwing it right to the opposition, which he is known to do, they have a pretty good receiving core. Really good. I mean, that Maryland receiving core is going to be one of the better receiving cores in the Big Ten. So that's going to be. A, I put a them really number two test. behind Ohio State. I put. I might even put them ahead of our our collection of guys right now because you've seen what Demons can do. Kim Jarrett is maybe one of the best receivers in the country, and they just added a guy from Florida who's awesome. Like yeah, Copeland. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, yeah, they're going to be fun because their defense is going to be even worse than their offense is good. So it's going to be a lot of a lot of a lot of smoke. Yeah, I, I want you I want you guys to get your, your thoughts in on, on saying Russell, because I, I understand I understand what the coaches are saying. It is stuck out to me because the players were really raving about yeah. it, too. But what tempers my my sort of enthusiasm about it is he this dude is a technician. He is a technician, right? And he knows the scheme. Like he he knows the 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 plays. He knows the you know how guys are trying to set him up. He on knows certain our routes. plays though. He knows yeah, our that's plays. What I'm he knows our yeah. Which I mean, we, we've seen that before, where like a guy is awesome in practice, and then they play him, and then the other team doesn't run exactly what we run, and it's like, oh no, I don't want to knock Sainer still and stuff like that. But I think you know he's not going to be Dax Hill, obviously. He could be Blake Countess, and he was. I mean, Virginia Tech had him coming in as a cornerback. They really liked him at that position. Mm-hmm. He was probably a higher-ranked prospect as a cornerback, and that might be his, his future if he has a future beyond college. Uh, but yeah. I don't think you come in and – I mean, he's not going to be the same blitzer. He's not going to be able yeah, to – Yeah, he's not going to be – yeah. I, I qualified him. He's not going to be the guy in the box right. that day. What I, come no, back no to, yeah, what I come back to is there were a lot of sweatpants in the spring game. Rob Moore was in sweatpants. Jaden McBurrows was in sweatpants. Zeke Barry was in sweatpants because he was not on the team yet, right? So your three options that, you know, if you're looking at who's going to be playing that position, your top three guys, minus St. Rastill, were not even available in spring. And what happens when you get a position switcher and there's nobody else there? Everyone talks about the guy. We've been through that so many times. I'm not going to say that he can't play it. I He might be penciled in as the starter at nickel at the beginning of the season. I probably would, would make him the front runner, yeah. But as for keeping the job all season, they have so many other things. Any one of them pops. He's kind of the guy who gets pushed out. Craig? That's, that seems on the money to me. I, I think Sandra still will be the starter uh, in the first game. How, you know, how long that lasts, given the other talent they've got, I don't know. But I, 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 I think it's more likely than not by the time the, the first game rolls around, he'll be the starter at, at the nickel spot. It shall be interesting to see and to hear how things uh, play out here over the course of the next couple of weeks. You know, we always hear something, someone is is breaking out, and then you want to see how it translates to the field uh, when that uh, when that opening game comes. But, folks, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, I'll be out next week, uh, but the crew will be back with Ira Weintraub and Matt Demiz Mizzler. I'm sure we'll be in as well, so uh, be sure to join us for another MGO Blog Roundtable at that point. Be sure to join us tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK The Ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports, Ann Arbor, Accumulus Station. Thank you.